Hello, I am Jeff Carls, Executive Director of the Institute on Religious Life, and I'd like to welcome you to the Institute on Religious Life's podcast, Ever Ancient, Ever New. We have a delightful episode today with a special guest for this podcast, Mother Assumpta Long, OP, who is the former Prioress General of the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mother Assumpta holds a STL in Sacred Liturgy from the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome and has taught at the elementary, secondary, and junior college levels. Mother Assumpta is the former Superior General of the St. Cecilia Congregation of the Nashville Dominican Sisters. In the early 1990s, she was invited by John Cardinal O'Connor to assist with the initial formation of the Sisters of Life in New York. In 1997, she, along with three other sisters, founded the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. The sisters currently teach in elementary and secondary schools in Michigan and six other states across the country. Mother Assumpta was not only an IRL board member who served on the board for many years, she was also the Pro Fidelitate at Vertute Award recipient in 1993, which is conferred each year at the Institute on Religious Life's national meeting. To someone who has been outstanding in the support and promotion of authentic religious life, Mother Assumpta will be honoring us as one of the speakers at our 50th anniversary national meeting this coming April 2024. Mother Assumpta, welcome, and thank you for being our guest on the podcast. How are you doing today? Doing terrific. So good to see you. It's good to see you, and it really is a delight and an honor to have you on our podcast. We're looking forward to hearing more about (laughs) your journey, your vocation, your becoming a superior and a founder, and uh, all the incredible things that you've accomplished over the years. So if you're ready to go, let's begin. All right. All right. So, dear mother, tell us about your vocation story. Oh, my goodness. Do you have about uh, two weeks or something like that? You know, uh, well, Jeff, you know, I'm, I'm one of those very privileged uh, persons who had came from a, a beautiful Catholic family. My parents were faith-filled and um, gave us a good Catholic education. It's interesting because my father... Um, who, my mother's a convert, but my father said uh, that he knew he couldn't do anything really voluntarily for the church, but there's one thing he would do, and that would give all of his children a Catholic education. Now, that sounds okay, but we did not have, we had an elementary school in our little city where I was born, but we didn't have a high school, so that meant he sent the boys to Coleman, Alabama, to the Benedictines. He sent all of us to Nashville to boarding school with the Dominicans. And, you know, coming from that faith-filled family, um, all they wanted for us was to do God's will. And, but, you know, if, if you are raised in a family that where it's faith and family in that order <laughs> with my father, um, it's just second nature, you know, so there were two of us who became religious and four who ha- happily married. So anyway, that that's the main story. I think that's where a vocation comes from. And I had 
Dominican sisters all the way through. In fact, I couldn't get rid of them because I went to Providence College, had Dominicans, went to Evangelicum, had Dominicans. So in elementary, high school, college, university, all Dominican educated. So anyway, so it's natural that I became a Dominican. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to ask you about the Dominican, how you felt called the Dominicans. But if they were your teachers all along, then you um, were probably inspired right at the beginning. Can you tell us more about the original founding of uh, the Dominican order themselves and their charism? What is the charism of the Dominicans? You know, Jeff, it's just beautiful because I look back, it was founded in the 13th century. In fact, 1216 by St. Dominic de Guzman. And um, the times there seemed almost like uh, parallel to what we're doing today because there was the Albigensian heresy that was rampant. So he knew that because he went on a trip with the bishop. Anyway, it's it's a long, long story. But basically, he knew he had to have educated men to preach. And that's what, so the OP behind our name means order of preachers. And in order to be a preacher, you had to be well-educated to know um, the teachings of the church. So he made sure that when he founded the order, that they were uh, tremendously educated. And you can see, by some, we have some of the greatest saints, Thomas Aquinas, Albert the Great, Catherine of Siena, you know, um, you can just go to Martin de Porres, Rose of Lima. But it was, and I think about today, where there's so much error in our culture, it's just a perfect time for Dominicans. You know, it's to preach the truth, to preach it. um, But it's not just going out and preaching because uh, St. Dominic founded it on a very contemplative life, you know, where um, you're formed in the sanctuary. So, you know, we, we, that, that's our prayer in our life is to come together, to pray together, to play together, to stay, you know, steady. So, um, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful life. It's very contemplative because we don't think we, if we don't, if we don't have that, what do we have to preach? You know, um, so he tried to, um, make sure, and he, he himself was such a prayerful man. If he, you know, if he'd go out and preach all day, then he'd spend the night in prayer. You know, I don't exactly do that, but anyway. But he was such an example of uh, of contemplative apostle, and I think that's the best way to describe Dominicans is to be contemplative, number one, and then go out and preach Christ. That's beautiful, Mother, and and it's so needed today in our culture, which is so restless and so full of activity and noise and there's very little time for contemplation um and i think what's so beautiful about the dominicans and you and your community is that you represent and and show us the way to be contemplative and prayerful but at the same time you can be active and serving in the schools and and serving elsewhere where we need uh that kind of of example so so badly today in our culture um, which kind of leads to my next question uh, that you as a Dominican were asked by Cardinal John O'Connor to help with the founding of the Sisters of Life in New York. 
because the Sisters of Life would be kind of a new a new outreach for you, would it not? Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. It was one of the greatest, you know, um, gosh, there's so much to say, but um, I was by our constitution, it's not even permitted because I, I had just gone out of office, but I was a vicar's general, which means that you have to be there. You can't leave but with permission and all. I had one year and I told Cardinal O'Connor, um, it was interesting because I did not have a charism. I mean, I'm as pro-life as hopefully as anybody, but that's not my charism. My charism is Dominican to preach in it. So anyway, but um, I told him that, but he was interested in forming them as religious women. And it's just like our apostate is teaching. He, the, their apostate for pro-life would come out also of the sanctuary of a life built. So I think, well, I can, I can certainly um, train them or help them to live religious life. And then one of them will have to, you know, I mean, go into the charism of what, what you want for your community. So that's what I was privileged to do for a year. It was wonderful to work with the Cardinal. And this was, this was a group they had, they were so young, they didn't have experience of religious life. They were absolutely one. They put up with a lot for me. You know, I mean, you know, they were absolutely wonderful. I mean, I, I can't speak highly enough. They were very humble. And, but I knew that I could say, okay, this is the way you live religious life. I don't care what, what you're doing. You have to have a very solid prayer life, a very solid community life. Um, live your vows. How do you live your vows? Um, it, it just takes, it takes that before you can even begin to go out in any apostolate whatsoever. So with the vows, with the liturgy, with um, a structured prayer life together and a community life, the Cardinal Rennett wanted a strong community life. Well, I knew about those things from experience, so I could do that. But then I knew that they would have to, um, you know, go with their apostolate, you know, for the, you know, whatever the Cardinal wanted them to do in regard to pro-life. And they have done that beautifully. Well, obviously they heeded your, um, your direction and your, your input because they're thriving today and they're growing and their apostolate is so beautiful. Um, and they really are doing such a tremendous job. So God bless you for, <laughs> for all you did to get them going. And, and that leads again to the next question. In, in 97, 1997, uh, you along uh, with three other sisters founded the Dominican Sisters of Mary Mother of the Eucharist. So what goes into the process of, of deciding to found a religious community and, and what led you and your, your team of sisters to starting the Sisters Mary Mother of the Eucharist? Oh my goodness. Well, you know, uh, Jeff, you know, all you want to do is, is God's will. Uh, you know, you look back and you think, um, it has to come from God. I mean, you mm -hmm. just can't, it just has to come from God. And it's almost like he works in mysterious ways. And, um, but anyway, I, I was thinking, I was thinking that I don't know whether it was at the Institute on Religious Life or whether it was 
and the Consortium Perfecti Caritatis because I was on the board of both groups. So it was a talk I gave. And I can remember that's when things were crazy after Vatican II, absolutely crazy in, in religious life. And I remember I got up and, and gave a talk and I said, I know you're not going to do this, but I'm going to tell you if we did it, it would work. And But you're not going to do it. And which they didn't. And I didn't expect him to. But I said, seeing that I love religious life and see it dying out in our country. You know, I mean, um, so I said, if because both at the consortium and institute, you had wonderful communities that belonged. And I said, if all of the mother generals here, you pick out four people in your community that really have the charism and begin a new foundation in another part of the country. We're, we will pepper the United States with good communities, you know, start. So anyway, that is, that's easier said than done. But anyway, so so I said, uh, and I think God probably said, okay, smart aleck, you do it, you know. So anyway, but um, so there are a lot of hurdles you go through in order to do this. You know, I mean, you have to get permission, obviously, from your own community, uh, from Rome, you know, from, you have to have a benevolent bishop in order to do that. So uh, we were fortunate to have Cardinal O'Connor as our benevolent bishop. So we had one year, which was very smart, of discernment. Okay, see if you, see if this is what God wants. Because it could have stopped at any point. And if that's God's will, that's that's wonderful that God. But it was unbelievable. Once the four of us decided, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to discern this for a year. It was like God was pushing us. We couldn't even, I, I, every step of the way, I'm convinced it was God. It was God. He took care of all the details, which that would take a long story, but it, it, it's just incredible. And Cardinal O'Connor gave us a wonderful uh, kind of lawyer, uh, a Franciscan priest who made sure that everything was done according to uh, Rome. And the cardinal being being a cardinal um, could take our case to Rome. And But anyway, so we knew in less than a year that this was going to work. And so, but you have to get, you have to get permission from Rome, you know, your community, benevolent bishop, Rome. Uh, and then you have to have all the details I mean, which, which was another miracle, another miracle. I mean, you just can't think of all the things you have to think about. Uh, anyway, so that's a good tell. But anyway, before us, it just um, kind of went out on a limb and, and it, it just worked. And it, it was of God. We, we, we love religious life. I mean, we weren't. We love religious life and wanted it to flourish, and God just blessed it incredibly in that in that short time to know that this must be His will because we couldn't have done it. We could not. When I look back now, I think, how did we have the nerve to think that we could do that? You know, I mean, but anyway. So, <laughs> it was good. well, 
again, you you discern God's will and you answered his call. And there's also the part in religious life of being obedient to the will of the father and the will of, 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 of the rule. And you're, you're, you exemplify that um, at the Sisters Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. What would you say was probably the most significant obstacle in, in really getting it off the ground? You know, Jeff, I, we, we, I don't, I don't think we even thought about this, but it's, it's a, it's an awesome response, but financial. I mean, you know, when you think about if you are going to begin a new community, you have to have money to do this. You have to, if you're going to accept people to come to the community, where are you going to put them? How are you going to educate them? How are you going to feed them? I mean, how, uh, and God took care of that too. It's just an incredible story, which I'm sure this is not the time nor the place to do it, but it's an incredible score. How God even took care of that. It's, it's just, it's, it's remarkable, really. Um, so. Well, uh, in, in the 26 years since your order's founding, the community has grown from four sisters to over 140 sisters, which is phenomenal. And that might not even be a low number now. I don't know. That's the last I saw that you had posted. So, but I, every time I see pictures, it's like they're coming in droves. I don't know how you keep up with it. Um, but what is some advice that that you can give to other orders who are struggling to grow in numbers or or how to attract vocations? You know, it's interesting. Um, of course, you know, if 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 you're living the religious life. That's, that's number one, of course. But, you know, now you have to get out there. You have to be known. And now young people are on uh, uh, computers. So if you have, uh, you know, you have to have a good website. You have to have a vocation director that's going to work with these one y- young women to walk the walk with them and to, to help them to go out and speak about vocations, be the witness of a happy religious. Um, it takes a lot of, a lot of energy. People, young, young women are just so distracted now. I mean, they're, they're out there in this world that's so full of distraction and you have to bring it before their mind that they're made. I mean, their vocation is God given and they, they have to pray about it. They have to know about it. But, you know, it's interesting, and I tell, if I go around to elementary schools or talk about, you know, uh, I, I think a, a sister must have said this to me in elementary school. I don't know because it's in my brain, and I tell young people to do this. She said, every day, say three Hail Marys that you will do God's will. Now, that to me is a win-win situation because if a young girl, I tell them, I said, if, if God is calling you, and most of you, he's calling to the marriage stage. Don't you want to find the right one to marry? You know, yeah, we want to find, you know, of course we do. It's a win-win. Just say three homers, you'll do whatever God wants you to do. So you found the right spouse, you will know, or, or you will be open to God's will. So I think that's the main thing, that you have to go out there, you have to make yourself known, um, you have to... Um, do vocation work, 
You have to have a good website. You have to be, I don't know, there's just a lot of things. But we have to live in a modern world where you have to know where the young people are and what are they interested in. And, um, and they don't need, basically, I think people are searching for the spiritual. You know, I think basically, and they don't want, I mean, we're not out there advertising, oh, have a good time. You know, no, this is going to be a hard life. You know, you've got to, you've got to sacrifice. You've got to um, be willing to give up all things. You know, like the rich young man, he couldn't do it because he had great Well, Well, they've got things now. Leave, can you leave your iPhone? Can you leave your computer? Can you leave? You're coming here to to learn Christ, and you can't be distracted by the things of the world. Can you give up all of this junk? Medicaid? You know, can you leave? Can you leave the world for a life of austerity and learn to follow Christ? I mean, anyway, it's just. But basically, they can if God's calling them to this, you know, so um, you see what kind of a spiritual life they're living. Uh, The rosary, Dominican, you know, get that rosary out and pray the rosary. Uh, Make the 54-day rosary in to know God's will, you know. Um, You know, try to, you try to instill in them a spiritual life. You know, go to Mass, Go to the sacrament of reconciliation. Pray. Pray every day. Pray for your vocation. Uh, be open to God's will. And um, anyway, it's just a lot. But you have to, you know, you have to get out there and make it known, you know. So, Well, Mother, you make such a very good point because um, it's not just about stripping all of those things away, but you have to replace them with something else. And if you replace them with mass and you replace them with prayer and you replace them with more spirituality and spiritual reading and so on down the line, it's not just stripping yourself and being empty without anything. You've just replaced those things by engaging in prayer and so on. So um, thank you for sharing that and, and, and that good point. Now, at the very beginning, when I introduced you, I said that you were um, also uh, involved with the Institute on Religious Life as a board member, practically from the very beginning and the founding, and had worked with Father John Harden during those crazy times that have been identified. Um, What was it like working with Father Harden at the time? Uh, And, and, um, you know, what have you been watching as, as the IRL has been developed over the years, what, uh, what would you say uh, some of the good that's been accomplished by the Institute on Religious Life and, and Father Hardin's work? Oh, you know, well, some of those things I want to say when I give the talk, you know, about mainly about Father Hardin and, and some of the, but, you know, God is so good. I think, you know, times were so bad. And yet I look, it gave really people such an opportunity to meet such terrific people that were on the same boat that you were on. You think, you know, I I can't tell you, I was on the board of the Fellowship of Catholic Scholars, and I think I would have never probably met these people had not things been so crazy. You know, that but they they immersed and so you had this group together that really love the church 
um, we're speaking the truth that we're uh, Jonah went ago. So Father Harden was one of these, you know, just delightful, wonderful, faith-filled men. And somehow you just knew, you know, he's he's pre he's teaching the truth. So it was just a wonderful opportunity. The Institute of Religious Life was a godsend. I mean, it brought together religious women who were de- trying desperately to live religious life according to the mind of the church. And um, we had, a, you know, before I was parish chair, I had a wonderful mother general who kind of initiated this whole thing because she said, go, she'd always say, go back to the primary sources. So if you really read Vatican II, if you really studied the teachings of the church, you couldn't justify what was going on. You know, I mean, and even in the, the the ones who were involved in Catholic education, even that was nuts. Religion textbooks were crazy. Um, you know, we had to teach certain textbooks, which which you didn't do, you know. But, but what I mean is that uh, so God can bring good out of anything. But Father Harden, I just think, how delightful. And I'm just, you know, I'm so privileged to be able to speak about him at the at the meeting because I want to give tribute to this wonderful man who was just a voice of sanity <laughs> in, in, the, in the crazy times. You know, just, just um, wonderful, just wonderful. And there were others who joined him. Uh, oh, my goodness. I, I just am so grateful. But... Um, so it was it was crazy, but yet you would have never come together with these wonderful people. So I'm I'm just full of gratitude for um, <laughs> for survival. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you think, oh gosh, it was kind of, and you know, one thing had to keep a sense of humor. You know, to know that it was crazy, and be able to laugh about some things. You know, because some things weren't laughable. But anyway. Some things you could just say, this is, this is nuts, you know, so. (laughs) Well, it seemed that he was prolific in writing and identifying so many of the uh, difficulties that, that, that religious life was up against in those sixties and seventies. And because he wrote so much and because he spoke so much and because he instructed and he taught um, just tirelessly uh, giving of himself uh, there's so much to be grateful for and reflect upon with regard to what Father John Harden did for religious life and for the church in his lifetime. And we'll look forward to you sharing more of that with us at the 50th anniversary celebration uh, in April of 2024. But at this time, I'd just like to say thank you so much for taking the time uh, to share with us your journey and uh, share with us all that you've done to support and promote religious life. And um, we pray for your well-being and we look forward to seeing you in April. And until then, many blessings on you and the Sisters Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. God bless you and thank you, Mother. Well, listen, God bless you and thank you. This has been delightful. Okay, thank you so much. All right, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. I hope that this podcast has inspired you and that you will pray along with me for an increase in vocations to the priesthood and religious life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
O God, throughout the ages, you have called women and men to pursue lives of perfect charity through the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience. We give you thanks for these courageous witnesses of faith and models of inspiration. Their pursuit of holy lives teaches us to make a more perfect offering of ourselves to you. Continue to enrich your church by calling forth sons and daughters who, having found the pearl of great price, treasure the kingdom of heaven above all things. Amen. Thank you and God bless.